Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories across the NBA with our Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we go to Miami to speak with David Ramil of Locked On Heat about uh, the Heat's offseason and the NBA's investigation into the Miami Heat and tampering charges, perhaps uh, being laid during or due to the Kyle Lowry deal. We go to Brooklyn to speak with Adam Armbrecht of Locked On Nets about Team USA winning the gold medal on the back of Kevin Durant and then his recent NBA contract extension. And lastly, we go to Charles Mockler in LA to speak about the Clippers, the re-signing of Reggie Jackson, Kawhi Leonard's health status, and much more. It's all coming up. The biggest stories, the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Hey, you can also find Locked On NBA now. We are over on YouTube, so go and search Locked On NBA on YouTube. Subscribe over there. Give us a thumbs up. Leave some comments, and you can check out the show over on YouTube. Big show coming up today, so let's get to it. Let's bring him in, the host of the Locked On Heat podcast, David Ramil is here. David, welcome to Locked On NBA. And firstly, let's start with, I guess, some um, some more positive things. The The Miami Heat made some key moves this offseason, bringing in Kyle Lowry, bringing in PJ Tucker, bringing, in, bringing back Victor Oladipo on a minimum contract. They were a team obviously unceremoniously swept out of the playoffs in the first round. Yeah, how much better do these moves make them? Are they a, a tier one title contending type team? I don't think so. Not quite yet. I, I, you know, it could all work out that way, but there are questions about Lowry and Jimmy Butler as, you know, they continue to age, how well this team meshes together. They put together what seems on paper anyway, like a much improved defense. And Lowry certainly brings an element of playmaking and ability to draw free throws that was missing with Goran Dragic or anybody else filling that point guard slot. Overall, I'd say they've made significant improvements, but I fall just shy because they don't have the same kind of talent as a Brooklyn or even the kind of proven experience of a Milwaukee. So I don't see them as a top tier contender, but they're pretty close. Yeah, I think that's how I see it as well in that sort of second grouping, you know, with say the Sixers, the Celtics, the Hawks, the Knicks, you know, all that, that sort of group. They probably can establish themselves a bit higher than some of those teams, but in that group uh, is where I have them. Um, before we get into all the Lowry stuff, PJ Tucker, um, Obviously, he's a huge part of what you know, many successful teams have done, from the Rockets through to the Bucks winning the title this year. He did, I think, drop off a little bit in some of the playoff matchups. And you talk about age, he is 36 already. The Heat had that success in the bubble with the Jay Crowder playing at the forum of a stretch four. Now, PJ Tucker, great shooting corner threes, but we wouldn't call him any sort of offensive threat at all. Yeah, you know, he is... I don't know if he's a non-shooter, if that's the best way to describe PJ Tucker, but having him and Bam playing the four and the five, which appears how they're going to be running things things a lot of the time. Is that a bit of an offensive impediment, do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty legitimate concern. Unless Bam or Jimmy start all of a sudden spacing the floor, uh, there's going to be a, a pretty lack, a pretty sizable lack of shooting on that front, you know, that starting rotation there. Kyle has to hit at such an incredibly high level. Duncan, obviously an elite shooter, but we've seen how teams can target him and kind of marginalize what he's able to do. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden you've got a real lack of spacing out there. I'm, I'm curious to see what Eric Spolstra does to add some kind of level of dynamism here that we haven't seen because again you do have some lack of shooting there 
So it's going to be dependent on, I don't know, maybe more off-ball movement, trying to get the ball to some cutters, uh, using a lot of, you know, screens and things that sort of things that the kind of innovations we've seen from Spolstra in the past when he does have shooting. I mean, look, he, he built a pretty successful franchise, uh, you know, around a non-shooter and Dwayne Wade. So I, I'm sure he could probably fix something there. But it's uh, it's a different NBA nowadays, obviously. And so I, I'm, I am concerned about Tucker's lack of shooting. They bring in Markeith Morris. That's not a significant help either. So I, I just don't don't know exactly what's happening there with that front court. Although you could make a case for, you know, the guy they just recently signed, Omer Yurtseven. Uh, you know, he's a, a nice shooter at seven feet tall. And that might be pinning hopes on somebody who doesn't really have any kind of NBA experience whatsoever. But at least you have a, you know, floor spacing big on the roster. Yeah, I was just going to mention Yurtseven, who was you know, absolutely dominating in the Utah Summer League. He averaged, what, 20 and 15 or something along those. Something crazy along those lines, of course, it is Summer League, yeah. but he has, uh, has found himself with an NBA contract, so congratulations to him. Before we get into the Kyle Lowry stuff, um, Victor Oladipo, back. Yeah, obviously, he was expecting a huge payday, big max contract, injuries have ruined him over the last two to three years, and he just has not looked himself. He's pushing and forcing things too much, and then he had to have another surgery on his quad. David, how much are we actually going to see Victor Oladipo play this season? Not much. I wouldn't expect it. I've seen uh, you know prognosis anywhere from December to March, and if that's the case, he might be in time just to see, you know, make a contribution during their playoff run. So it's going to be at this point, I think the priority for the heat and for Victor would be to get a hundred percent healthy or as close to that as he's ever going to get from this point in his career. Cause obviously we, we thought he was close to healthy. He thought he was close to healthy. And apparently that was not the case. And, you know, obviously he wasn't available for Miami during their playoff run, as short as it was. It would have been nice to have somebody to keep Drew Holiday from going off or having the kind of, or even Bryn Forbes, you know, who outscored Jimmy Butler. Uh, so it's good to have Victor back there. I think for him, it makes a lot of sense to come back to an organization that he's long been linked to, that he's always seen himself as being a part of. You know, he models a lot of his game after Dwayne Wade. Obviously, there's a Tom Crean connection at the collegiate level. So I think he's always wanted to be part of the Miami Heat culture for whatever it's worth. And so now he gets another opportunity to kind of just recover. He's no, He knows the system. He knows the coaching staff. He knows what his role will be here. And if he can contribute, you know, at some point during the playoff run, then you could bring in a high-level defender off the bench, another guy who can create his own shot, who can draw free throws, who can occasionally space the floor too. So it's a nice addition, and it's a very low-risk one considering the amount of money he's being paid. So it's a good opportunity for him. And, you know, with a one-year deal, if he's healthy and he can find a way to contribute, then he can still enter into free agency next year and, and maybe, uh, you know, field some more high-value offers. What the the big story, I guess, surrounding Miami and, of course, Toronto and Chicago and New Orleans uh, is the investigation into tampering. Let's focus on the Miami side of things because that's what you talk about here, David. And we're talking about them acquiring Kyle Lowry in a sign-and-trade of which the details were reported you know, 24 hours in advance of free agency officially being able to um, commence. Or the, Sorry, the details were that Miami had perhaps cleared enough cap space to potentially look into doing this deal that maybe what they would be looking at would be something along the lines of a framework that remarkably turned out to be exactly the same as how it, how it ended up being. So um, what is give our listeners an overview of what, if they are found guilty of tampering, what the potential... Um, ramifications are for the Miami Heat can they can the trade be you know taken back and they can't execute it can Kyle Lowry have to go to a different team like what can end up happening here 
it's potentially that's the case. I think Bobby Marks of ESPN has said that he finds it very unlikely. He's been on that receiving end of the investigation as well when he was uh, in the front office. And, and so he's aware of what transpires. You know, what helps Miami is the fact that they actively pursued him many years ago. I think in 2014, they also actively pursued him this past season. Well, you know, also in a trade right at the trade deadline. So maybe they had already discussed the parameters of a trade at that point in time. So that kind of helps them. Now the league will check into personal emails. They'll check text messages, phones, records, and things of that sort. And if they find any wrongdoing, then obviously Miami can be penalized. If that's the case, they could void the trade. However, unlikely that might be. I don't know what happens then. Cause that kind of really throws a huge monkey wrench into all of free agency. Cause Kyle was one of the first dominoes to fall there. Uh, you know, from Miami's perspective, they don't have a plan B. I guess they'd welcome back Goran Dragic and have to find a way to, you know, incorporate him back into the lineup. Again, if that's that seems unlikely to happen. So my feeling is that if they are penalized, if they are found guilty, then they may be a future draft pick or some kind of other compensation will be included there. But I, I guess Mark Cuban wasn't satisfied with 2011. And he had to complain rather loudly to the league about the whole deal because that's that smacks of, of cubes getting really upset that they weren't able to land Lowry. Yet again, clearing all this cap space for nothing. Uh, just a just a subtle shot there at Mark Hewn. Love it, David. David, if you want to hear uh, what David's got to say about other heat moves and the uh, the outcome of this uh, tampering investigation into Miami, he's going to cover it for us all over on Locked On Heat. David, thank you for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Every Always a pleasure. Do you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control in winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes, winner take all, you have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. You're in total control. Stat Hero is the DF is DFS the way it is meant to be, one-on-one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Stathero.com slash locked on. Now, let's bring him in. The host of Locked On Nets, Adam Armbrecht, is here with me. Let's start with um, the Olympics, Adam, because Kevin Durant really led this uh, USA team to gold against France over the weekend. They... They get that goal, but Durant was really on another level. And I think, I speak for myself, maybe you, you don't have the same idea, but the fact that Durant hadn't torn Achilles at the end of that 18-19 uh, you know, season, it seems like an absolutely distant memory with the level that he is playing at now. Not many players get back to even 100% of their current level. He feels like he's at like at 110% of where he was before. Yeah, I, I mean, I think going into the Olympics, there were, from Brooklyn Nets fans, NBA pundits in general talking about will the Nets be comfortable with Durant going and playing in Tokyo and the strain it could put on his body. I I think once he got back on the court, that was it in Kevin Durant's mind. And and certainly from the Brooklyn Nets standpoint, if there had been any doubt around that, you would have seen some pullback in the series against the Bucks in the NBA playoffs, right? You've lost so many supporting cast. Why bother taxing or pushing him too hard? It it just feels like as rare as it may be relative to, to other athletes that have suffered that injury, Kevin Durant's not only 100, maybe 100% back, maybe even better than we remember him just for the sake of of not seeing him play for such a long period of time prior to. 
Yeah, it, it is actually amazing. Now, let's just focus a little bit more on uh, on Tokyo here because Durant was, oh, I wouldn't say carrying the US team, but he was the. it felt like he was the only player who was a reliable source of offense, especially with Damian Lillard dealing with that abdominal injury, which it came out afterwards. But he was really on another level to all those guys, uh, which when you're talking about at a, a level of you know, playing in the US Olympic team, to be on another level is pretty remarkable. Well, it's interesting too, because some of the guys that came in there, now you get players coming off of being world champions like Drew Holiday, like Chris Middleton, who joined the party a little bit late, even Devin Booker, who played in but lost, obviously, in the finals. But then a guy like Tatum comes to mind when you think about the expectations of him coming into this past season. He dealt with some COVID issues of his own, but where the level of his game is, I think, changed a little bit perception-wise. For Kevin Durant, you know, you talk about the reason that makes certain players so great in the NBA. It's being kind of foolproof in what your game is. It's not predicated necessarily on needing the supporting cast to do certain things for you. It's not predicated on, well, as long as the rules of the game, because we know there's a difference between NBA and international play. If the rules are set to a certain standard, then I can, I can accelerate. I can accentuate all the skills that I have. For Kevin Durant, it's always been. He has the length, he has the size, the athleticism to kill you at three levels. And I think the Olympics were just the example of this is, as we've referred to him affectionately, apex predator who can do it in any circumstance, any situation, and doesn't get impacted by the difference of what goes on in the lane and how big bodies are a little more prevalent in international play. And it also tells you that these superstar players at their own teams, when they get into a situation with Kevin Durant, everyone still look to him to lead the squad. So, and that's the same thing you saw as far as the Brooklyn Nets were concerned. It's the same thing you're seeing on the international level. So I think this is just superstars deferring to the best superstar in the room. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like, really. Is they're just like, yeah, he he is the best, so let's just get, get in the ball and get out of the way. But let's talk about another uh, situation with Durant because he signed a huge contract extension, Adam. Uh, four more years, you know, a lot of money, 180 plus million dollars for those four years. Now, um, James Harden and Kyrie Irving both are eligible for that contract extension coming up this season as well. Is this, yeah, this is the first domino that needed to fall before those two guys sign as well? Is there any indication that Kyrie and Harden will be looking to sign that extension too? Well, uh, coming off the heels of what you say about him in Tokyo, uh, it'd be hard to think that James Harden and Kyrie Irving wouldn't want to stay with Kevin Durant. The contract that adds on the years to, to this certainly gives you the indication that Kevin Durant's going to retire a, a Brooklyn net. And that, that unto itself for a Nets fan base changes a little bit what the expectations were and how we felt about it going into it. Um, beyond that though, we also think about James Harden, 161 on three years because the contracts are structured a little bit differently. Uh, then we think about Kyrie Irving. He has 181 right now or 235 next year. I think the only the interesting piece, I assume, yes, they're both in. They both want to be here. The interesting piece would be, is there any concerns, maybe the wrong word, but what is the expectation around does someone need to make the most money amongst these three players? Are, are they worried about that at all? Or do they all understand we're going to make the biggest payday possible and the Nets get to move forward feeling like this is more than just this, this very small window. We're going to be able to get ourselves into a situation, hopefully to win multiple championships over what will end up being a third of, of Kevin Durant's career when it's all said and done. And, and even though it may have felt like a foregone conclusion to a lot of Nets fans, I don't think I saw it as a reality until that box got checked. 
Let's talk about some other things that the Nets did in the offseason. Of course, they bring back Blake Griffin, but they do lose Jeff Green, but ostensibly they're just replacing him with James Johnson, who comes in on a minimum salary. But if we want to talk Olympics, we want to talk Olympic legends, Paddy Mills joins the uh, the Brooklyn Nets now. If Brooklyn could get Olympic version of, of Paddy Mills, I reckon they'd be, uh, they'd be pretty happy with that. But Mills comes in to just sort of fill that role, I guess, behind Kyrie Irving. And I think it's gone under the radar. Because I was you know, talking with someone the other day um, and now we're like, oh, I can't wait to see Jock Landale, Australian guy who played in the Olympics, here, and him and, and Paddy Mills to have a big year in San Antonio. I go like, I hate to break it to you, mate, but Mills doesn't play for San Antonio, so that's how far <laughs> under the radar this uh, this move has gone. But Mills now in Brooklyn, I think it's a an absolutely huge move because Paddy does not need a huge role in the NBA. He comes in, he will play eighteen minutes, twenty minutes, twenty one minutes. He will do his thing, and he comes in, comes out, and look, actually, just a huge contributor to winning. So. While, yeah, it's great to bring back Blake Griffin. It's great to bring bring in a James Johnson. You trade for Javon Carter for some of that bench, um, your defensive ability. Yeah, getting Mills is one of the most, I think, underrated moves of the offseason. Yeah, I, I mean, universally praised by a lot of Nets fans. Doug and I, when we talked about the podcast, I mean, this felt like a borderline steal of free agency for the Nets to get him two years, 12 million. You talk about the fact that, that he is a, a niche player and, and he seems very comfortable in that role. So there's no expectations when you join a team that already has Harden and already has Irving at the guard positions, but because he's a little bit of an off ball guard, because he shoots 38% from beyond the arc, maybe get a little bit of that, as you said, Olympic energy closer to 45% certainly would take that, but it just feels like, this is the type of veteran player, unlike last trade deadline and buyout market when they brought in Blake. It was, well, what is this player going to be? What version of Blake are we going to have here? Patty Mills, I think this signing is, we know exactly what Patty Mills is. He knows exactly what he is. And you get to hit the ground running with him and definitely feel like you've taken the backup guards, the, that group of players, when you combine it with what they did in the draft, you've upgraded every element of what you're bringing in behind Kyrie and Harden at the guard positions. I, I just think that you're going to see this, the dividends that signing Patty Mills is going to pay off when we get to playoff time. And the difference cannot be underestimated to me. I, this is, I don't know. You say you want to call it one of the biggest signings of free agency. That seems absurd to say, given all the big names that moved, but for Brooklyn, that's what this is. One of the biggest possible things they could have accomplished this offseason. Yeah, absolutely huge, and uh, yeah, puts them rightfully into, uh, or probably strengthens their their claim as being the title favorites heading into next season. Adam, for everyone who wants to check out all of the Nets talk that you guys, you and Doug, will be having over on Locked On Nets, they can find that wherever they find their podcast. Thank you for coming on Locked On NBA with me here. Thank you, Josh. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Did you know that it has so many delicious flavors? There's something for everyone. Coconut, raspberry, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, whatever your favorite flavor, Built Bar is going to have you covered. And if you don't know what your favorite flavor is, hey, why don't you just get yourself a mixed box? Two of each of the nine flavors for you to try and for you to enjoy. But it's not just that the flavors are great tasting, but they are. They're absolutely fantastic, but they're healthy as well. Check out the macros, 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only four to five grams of sugar and just four to five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the US track and field team. So go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. The promo code is LOCKED15 at built.com. 
BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all of that action at BetOnline. Get all of the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, PGA Golf, and UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline are your online sportsbook experts. All right, so let's bring him in now, the host of the Locked On Clippers, or one of the hosts of the Locked On Clippers podcast, Charles Mockler, is here. Charles, welcome to Locked On NBA. The LA Clippers, of course, a little bit disappointing in the playoffs last season, um, I guess in large part because of an injury to a certain superstar, Kawhi Leonard. Let's start with Kawhi, because the report has come out that he is re-signing with the Clippers. We don't know for how long, for what money. Of course, it'll be a max contract, but... We just don't know. Like, there's no details discussed. Is there any indication? Is it going to be like a four-year deal? We're looking at one plus one. Is there any way that we're leaning, or is this just one of the weirdest kept secrets that's going around <laughs> at the moment? I think it's kind of the weirdest kept secret. Financially, for Kawhi Leonard, it makes the most sense to sign the one and one, and then after this next season, opt out of that and sign the five-year super duper max or whatever it is. Because I think there's something like maybe a forty million dollar difference in what he can get between you know signing the max if he signs like a four-year deal with the clippers right now that's great and you know over a hundred and something million but if he does that one and one and then opts out and signs that big five-year it's up near 235 or something like that so financially it makes the most sense to do the one and one then sign the five-year max as you said though we have no idea what's going to happen there's i mean i think there's a non-zero chance we won't even know Kawhi's fully back until just he's there on opening night so uh, we just have to wait until we get it from Chris Haynes or Woj, and then we'll know how long it was. Well, let's talk about opening night because Quaylen is not going to be there in uniform uh, on opening night because he did tear his ACL, partial tear of the ACL. Um, we know Kawhi and his medical, personal medical team has often been at odds with team-based medical employees, and he's been known to take it slower in recovery, which is absolutely his right, and you know, take care of your body. Um Spencer Dinwiddie had a partial tear of the ACL, not to say that any of this is the same, because it may not be, but, and he was, or he's going to be ready to go. He, he tore his in, what, start of January, and there was a thought that yeah. maybe he could play in the NBA final. So this might be like a seven, eight-month injury for Kawhi, but is there any indication that he'll play at all this upcoming season? Not entirely. I think, I think you're totally right. I think Kawhi's going to take his time. Um, I think for a player you know, kind of in terms of status, in terms of ability and what they're trying to play for in terms of contracts. I think Dinwiddie's maybe a little more motivated to come back sooner. It's not a knock on Kawhi at all, but, you know, like you said, Kawhi's a max player. He's going to get the max no matter what. Um, So I think he'll take his time. I think there's a strong chance that it won't be at all next season. Um, That's just based on, you know, history with Kawhi taking his time and wanting to be 100%. But, you know, like I said, we're not going to know until he's kind of just there, which is, frustrating as a fan a little bit for sure but when he's been through what he's been through with teams before and misdiagnosing and just not being 100% confident that's really all we can you know expect and have to deal with yeah exactly like you can't uh blame Kawhi at all for being careful with his body his uh his job is his body and he is getting towards towards the tail end of his career just turned 30 not that long ago and dealing with another um significant lower body injury is obviously a big deal so I wouldn't be 
I wouldn't be expecting Kawhi personally before you know, April if he's going to come back at all, maybe yeah. just to get back for the playoffs, but uh, that all remains up in the air. Now, the Clippers were pretty quiet in free agency, Charles, but then there was sort of a, a rush of things happening with the Kawhi, yeah, he's coming back announcement, and there was um, Reggie Jackson returning on a new deal for two years, $22 million. Uh, Nick Batum came back for a two-year deal with a player option, and then they also brought in Justice Winslow on a looks like a two-year deal as well for Winslow. So making making some moves there. I'm guessing that the acquisition of Winslow is to try and just get some wing minutes in there while Kawhi is going to be out. But you know, bringing back Jackson and Batum for a team that is not going to have Kawhi all season, I guess it leads me to believe that the Clippers still think that they are going to have him available for the playoffs and that they are going to still be a very good regular season team because you know these guys are all... They're all older, and if you are like, well, this is like a, a temporary mini rebuild, then maybe spending that money on Reggie Jackson or bringing back Batum or you know holding on to these guys that they they did hold on to is it would not be necessary in a season where you maybe not going to compete. So to me, there's a level of optimism in bringing all those guys back. How do you read that? I absolutely agree. I think there it would be kind of worrisome if there wasn't optimism after watching what this team did last year without Kawhi surge partly without zoo like there was a lot of key missing places in the playoffs we do know the playoffs aren't exactly the regular season it's a much different kind of grind in the regular season but that's why you bring in someone like Justice Winslow who is still young um, still plays great defense obviously there's some shooting issues he was good for two years and then it just kind of cratered um, so hopefully the team development guys can kind of get him going but I think they should still think they should compete. I mean, I, I think this team's going to be a top four seed where that shakes out. Not really sure if it'll be one or two, but the pieces are there. We know what they look like. They got another year under Ty Lue's system to head into. I mean, if you really watch the Clippers last year, what they looked like last year compared to the last year with Doc, it was night and day in terms of ball movement, in terms of a lot of things. So now that they've had more time, um, Nick Batum obviously doing his thing for Team France was great to see. I think they're coming in. I think they're ready. I think they're ready to kind of carry that torch. What they did last year was trying to do their best to prove people wrong and doing a pretty good job of it. So I guess we can look at it a couple of ways that they can replace Kawhi Leonard with say Nick Batum in the starting lineup. Although Batum started a bunch of games last year with Morris out, then you played a key bench role. Um, I guess they could put Luke Kennard in there who was missing in action during the regular season, but stepped up during the playoffs. But I think that the big key, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, with with the Clippers and, and what they can do this regular season is an elevation in play from Terrence Mann. I would assume that they would like for him to step into that starting lineup and play alongside Paul George and Marcus mm. Morris. And him not, he can't be Kawhi pretty clearly, but <laughs> for him to step in there. And, and I also think, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Reggie Jackson, that new contract makes me think that they would want him to maybe maintain that starting role, which he didn't have during the regular season, but he did during the playoffs over a Patrick Beverly and go with a Jackson man backcourt. Is that is that the expectation that man can really take his game up, not even one level, but you know, three or four levels to be a starting caliber player? The hype around Terrence Mann among Clippers fans right now is at an all-time high. I mean, he he proved a lot of us wrong last season, myself included. We didn't know what it was going to look like after that that last year under Doc. It was kind of like, is he going to be NBA level? And he absolutely is. Um, he had one of the greatest Clippers performances ever um, against the Jazz. It was absolutely incredible. I don't think anyone would have told you he was going to score almost 40 in the playoffs. Um I think he's going to be starting. I think you're right about Reggie Jackson, too. Effectively, this is Reggie's team to start on he started the most games at point guard last season he helped at 
one point, the Clippers were the most efficient offense in the league um, with him at the helm. I think Terrence Mann will be starting. You mentioned Luke Kennard, and that is a interesting situation. His big contract kicks in this year. So instead of making $4 million, he's making, you know, upwards, I think, north of 15. So there's going to have to be some contributions there. Part of that is on Ty Lue to figure out his role. There was some weird experimentation with a three-guard lineup that kind of left Kennard, the odd man out, when Lou Williams was still on the team. So now that that's past him, hopefully we'll get some more, you know, consistent minutes and a better idea of what his actual fit on the offensive side of the ball is. But what Terrence Mann is going to bring that, you know, Luke Kennard can't is the defensive side of the ball. That's what's going to keep Terrence in the starting lineup getting quality minutes. And I think he can take a step up. Um, the expectations are a lot heavier or a lot, you know, weightier than they were at the beginning of last season. I think he'll be able to deal with it. But how he answers to maybe start like, the first month of the season is going to tell us a whole lot about Terrence Mann. It's going to be really interesting to watch. And of course, Charles, if none of that works, then of course they can just play uh, 35 minutes of Jay Scrub and uh, see, yeah, see, what, see what Scrub can do. Uh, of course, if you want to hear more about the Clippers, Charles will have it for you all over on Lockdown Clippers. Charles, thank you for coming on Lockdown NBA with me. Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. And that'll do it for today's show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. You can also find Locked on NBA on YouTube now. So go and search Locked on NBA, subscribe over there, give us a thumbs up, and you can watch segments of the show and full episodes and plenty of other stuff that we throw out there as well. So go and do that. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.